are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. We've been in the book of James, but today we're taking a break from it. And we're going to be dealing with the subject I titled, Signs the Follower of Jesus Christ Cannot Ignore. I woke up a few weeks ago, and I said to Sheila, as we were sitting there studying, I said, God wants me to go to Israel. Now, I've never been to Israel. I've been in ministry over 40 years and never went to Israel. But I don't need to go to Israel. You know, so I'm not, uh, it's not something that's necessarily on my bucket list. I just want to be able to do what I've done in Africa, in Europe, and in the States is just preach Jesus, see people come to Christ. But I told Sheila, I said, I feel led to go to Israel. And she said, for how long? I said, at least a month. And uh, she looked a little bit surprised. And I said, I don't know why. I've got a friend of mine who has the ability to put me there for a period of time where I could actually live in Israel. And, um, but this was before all of this took place. And I felt like that God was already preparing my heart for what was coming. Jesus said in John 14, 1, He said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So one of the things that Jesus made clear is that he's coming back. Even when he ascended into heaven, if you remember the disciples that were gathered there as they watched him ascend up into the heavens, they were looking up and the angel said, why are you standing here looking up? Just as he went up, he'll one day come back down. Now get on and do what he's called you to do. You know, but the question is, are we seeing the prelude to the battle of Armageddon? Is the world's armies converging in a united assault against the United States, but more so a nation called Israel? Because I believe Israel and the U.S. and countries that align themselves with Israel are in danger. And I'll be talking next week about the United States. But more so, are we at the brink of the second coming of Jesus Christ? Is the rapture close and if so, what do you and I need to be doing? You know, Ledge, uh, in Ledge and a group are in Scotland, but we were riding along and Ledge said, you know, Dad, I've thought a lot about what you said. You know, the fact that Israel is less than the size of the state of New Jersey, its population, listen, I stand corrected. The population of Israel is point one nine percent of the world's population. Ledge looked at me as we were, we were riding along, and he said, you know, Dad, you're right. Israel is less than the state of New Jersey geographically. It's less than, it's one-fifth one of one percent of the world's population. And yet, yet 
it consistently is the focus of the entire world. And he said there can only be one answer, and that is there is a spiritual battle going on in this world in a realm we cannot see. Paul said it. He said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Paul said our battle is a spiritual battle, and it's taking place. And ultimately, it will culminate physically on this earth. And you and I need to be ready. And Ledge is right. That's the only answer. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36 will begin there. And we're going to be doing a little history today so that you understand the Jewish people, who they are. Now, let me go ahead and say one sign that we've seen here in the last few days is the preempted strike of Hamas. Who is Hamas? Hamas emerged in 1987 during the first Palestinian uprising. They are an outgrowth. I want you to listen closely. Everybody look this way. Because next week, I'm preaching a message that I believe could bring threats to my life. So you need to listen closely. Hamas emerged in 1987 during the first Palestinian uprising as an outgrowth, and listen closely, of the Muslim Brotherhood. It's a Palestinian branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. They've been in power since 2007. They won legislative elections in the Palestinian territory. They ended the other organization, a group called Fatah. They've, they've ended their leadership there. But let's look at Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning at verse 1. Now, everybody listen real closely. Ezekiel, the prophet of the Old Testament. Isaiah was sawed in two with a wooden saw. He warned Israel of idolatry. They killed him. Jeremiah will be the prophet to the exiles who are left in, in Israel. Ezekiel will be the prophet to the exiles under Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian conquest will be taken to Babylon. Ezekiel is prophesying about the future. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning at verse 1, Son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The enemy said of you, Aha! The ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Because they ravaged, they hounded you from every side, so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations and the object of people's malicious talk and slander. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the sovereign Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to the mountains and hills, to the ravines and the valleys, to the desolate ruins and the deserted cities, the towns that have been plundered and ridiculed by the rest of the nations around you. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. In my burning zeal, 
I have spoken against the rest of the nations, against all Edom, for with their glee and with their malice in their hearts, they made, what does that say there? They made what? My land their own possession so that they might plunder its pasture land. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel. Say to the mountains, to the hills, to the ravines and the valleys, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I speak in my jealous wrath because you have suffered the scorn of nations. Therefore this is what the sovereign Lord says. I swear with uplifted hand that the nations that are around you will also suffer scorn. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. We give you glory. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Lord, cleanse me. Forgive me. Use me, dear Lord, as a tool in your hand. Cover me by the blood of the Lamb. And Lord, may everything be for your glory and honor. And may we leave here understanding the covenant relationship of your people, Israel. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Hamas, who led, a, a, led a, an assault this past week, we were watching this on the news, seeing how it was transpiring, taking place. Hamas is backed by Iran. Iran is a strong supporter of Hamas. They are an ally. Um, behind Iran is Russia. Russia is, a, is an ally. Uh, Russia is an ally to uh, Iran. Iran to the Palestinian uh, group called Hamas. Iran is a strong supporter. They're an ally. Uh, you may say, well, why can't they all get along? Because Iran has made it clear. Their leadership has made it clear. Hamas has made it clear. Now backed by the Soviet, by the Russians, basically to exterminate, to rid the earth of the Jewish people. That is what they are set to do. Debbie Lott sent me a question. In fact, it was the only question. Surprising. Maybe a little. Debbie Lott sent the question and said, As to the United States, in light of prophecy, where is it? Let me answer you real quickly. Take a right. Go over to Ezekiel 38. Real quickly, I'm going to answer her question, then we're going to move on. But I value the fact that you ask it. In Ezekiel 38, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Now what is that and who are they? Magog would be a title. Could be, uh, Gog could be a title, could be prince could be czar, Magog. Gog is a reference to Russia, to the kingdom to the north. When you read on down there, Meshach and Tubal, he begins to go on, and what he's saying is, he moves on down. Let me move quickly. Verse 4, I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen fully armed, a great horde with large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords. Persia is Iran. So somewhere in the future, Ezekiel said, I see a battle. 
It is the battle of Armageddon, the valley of Megiddo, when God says, I will bring Russia from the north, I will bring Persia, which is Iran, and I will bring them against the people of Israel. Cush, put will be with them, all with shields and helmets, also Gomer with all its troops, Beth Togomar, and from the far north with all of its troops. All of that will be Arab nations, Russia, Iran, all of them will be converging. God says, I'm going to bring them to Israel. I'm bringing them to this battle. Verse 7, get ready, be prepared. You and all your hordes gathered about you. Take command of them. After many days, you'll call arms. He begins to describe this battle that is going on. Now, down in verse 13, Debbie, he mentions in verse 12, I will plunder and loot, turn my hand against the resettled. Notice that. Everybody look this way. Ezekiel is in the middle of the 6th century to an exiled people that are living in Babylon. He said there'll come a day when the Jewish people will resettle back into the promised land. In a moment, we'll talk about that, 1948. Against the resettled ruins and the people gathered from the nations. All the people of Israel came back together, reformed the nation, resettled the region of Israel in 1948. He's writing this 2,500 years before that event took place. Now, let's read on. They'll be rich in livestock goods, living at the center of the land. Debbie, you see that? Sheba and Dadan, and the merchants of Tarshish, all her villages will say, have you come to plunder? Now, who is this? Sheba and Dedan are references to Saudi Arabia. The merchants of Tarshish, who's Tarshish? Tarshish is Great Britain. Well, who are... In the Hebrew, the, to the lion and the lion cubs. Well, what does that mean there? That means that in, when all the armies are gathered in Armageddon, it means that there'll be some nations that will question this move. One of them is Saudi Arabia, who's in somewhat of an agreement with the nation of Israel. But who's Tarshish? Do you remember Tarshish? is where Jonah fled. Tarshish means outside the gates of Gibraltar, the rock of Gibraltar. Tarshish is a reference to Great Britain. Notice this, and all her villages, which probably means all her settlements. Debbie, who settled this country? The British. We eventually broke away from the British. So the only reference that we have to the United States in end-time prophecy is that little phrase right there. That's it. Now, let's, let's do a little Jewish history. Let's talk for a moment. And again, um, let, let me just, uh, and I'm, I'm going to have to depend on my notes a little bit here. 586, and not that I don't know it, it's just that I'm trying to keep it orderly because as I, my doctoral work, uh, when they gave me a hard time, they said, you know where you're going. You just didn't bother to tell us. 586, uh, as I told you, Babylon takes Israel into captivity. 
Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian armies come in. The northern kingdom's already been taken by Assyria. The southern kingdom is taken by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian armies, and they carry these people into exile. Do you know their names? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You know some of their names. They're carried into exile. That was 2,500 years ago. For 2,500 years, the Jewish people have been dispersed around the world, massacred, dominated by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the uh, Persians under Haman. You remember Haman the Agag, who wanted to kill all of them, only Esther stopped that plot, her and Mordecai. Persia, which is modern-day Iran, the Greeks, the Romans, and eventually Adolf Hitler. Hitler would kill over 6 million Jews. The Otto-Turk Empire would control this region. They were allies of Adolf Hitler and of the Nazis until the British were able to overthrow the Otto-Turks, take the land of Israel, and give it back to the Jewish people. Um, Now I'm reading on down here. So first of all, just a little history lesson here. Um, If you look at verses 1 through 7 of chapter 36 in Ezekiel, God is rebuking the nations that have taken his land. Again, verse 5. If you see there, God says, it's my land. Now, what do you mean by that? Everybody listen closely. God took a Gentile in the middle of Iraq, an old man, and he told this man, he said, I want you to leave your kindred, your father, and your people. This man was a Gentile because everybody was a Gentile. He called this man and his aged wife to leave his father's kindred and his people, and God said, and I'm going to take you to a land that I'm going to show you. Now look at Genesis. Take a left. Put a marker there on Ezekiel. We'll come back to it. But, um, but look, at, look at Genesis, Genesis chapter 15. Because there's something that you and I need to see here, and you're going to have to stay with me, and I'm going to do my best to put it in an orderly form. God calls Abraham, and God says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a geographical territory. I'm going to give you some land. And in Genesis 15, verse 18, watch this. Um, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give what? I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. Now, everybody think about this for a moment. God enters into a covenant relationship with one man. This man's name is Abram. He's married to Sarai. They are an elderly couple. They're Gentiles. He takes them from Iraq. He tells them where to go. And God says, this is your land. This is your land from the Mediterranean all the way to the Euphrates. Over 300,000 square miles of land. God says, it's yours. It's all yours. And you may say, well, was it God's to give? Yes. He owns it all. And so God looked across this world and he gave Abraham and Sarah, their names would eventually come, 
the covenant people that had entered into a covenant. In fact, look at Genesis 12. Let's look at that real quickly. For all those people that don't like Jews. In Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into... Now listen, everybody listen. This man's 75 years old. Him and his wife are beyond childbearing. God says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. You see, God chose them, not that they were to be isolated, to think that they were the only ones being chosen. God said, you're going to be a nation of priests to the, all the world. You're going to be my covenant people, just like he does in the church. But watch this. Look at verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people on earth will be blessed. How? through you. So God supernaturally picks this man, this senior adult, this old man and his wife, and he calls them into a covenant relationship. And in that covenant relationship, God gives them land. And he gives them land that is 300,000 square miles in an area. The closest they ever came to claiming all that land was under a king. You want to guess who he was? Who was the warrior king of Israel? King David. As close as they came. But as we said before, in 722, the Assyrians would come in, they would invade that land. Generations afterwards, they would invade the land to the north. 586, the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar would invade the land. And the land would remain under foreign rule until 1917. When the Ottoman Turk, who were allies to the Nazis, were defeated by the British in World War II. The British then gave through the Belfort um, Declaration after World War I, I mean World War I, they gave the land to Israel. They said, Israel, this is your land. Now, it wasn't the same amount that God gave, but it was the land in the Middle East. It was the land that we know. Over time, the Belfort Declaration that gave the Jews much of the land that, uh, that the British had signed over to them in 1922, the Hussein family, the Arabs said, wait a minute, this is not fair. This is too much. We want some of that land. And so they took a portion of the land. Everybody look this way. Winston Churchill with a crayon in Parliament drew a line down the Jordan River. He, dis he literally failed to see what God had done all the way back to the book of Genesis. Churchill, after the defeat of the Nazis, and the Ottoman Turk, he drew a line down the Jordan, and he said, Israel has to the, to the west, and Jordan has, and the Arabs have it to the east. That'll solve it, and it'll be over. We won't have no more problems. One writer said this, the Jews were left 
with a territory, as we know today, smaller than the state of New Jersey. God gave them over 300 square miles of land, and now they have 8,130 square miles of land. One One individual said land for peace has always gone against the Jewish people. Anyone can live there. One writer said anyone can live there. Anybody can be a, uh, uh, live in God's land in Israel, but they can't take the land. Now let's read on. Look at Ezekiel 36, 22 through 28. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, this is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. In other words, God, everybody look this way. When God took Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, they came in and they destroyed the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, carried the people into Babylonian captivity. God said that happened because they had profaned his name. They had gotten caught up in idolatry. But now God is gathering them back, and Ezekiel is seeing it. O house of Israel, God says, for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you've gone. Verse 23, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I watch this, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries. Now these people have been dispersed for 2,500 years. And I will bring you back where? To your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be cleansed. I will cleanse you from all your impurity, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and more and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my law. You will live in the land. I gave what? I gave your forefathers. In over 40 years of ministry, I have never been under a demonic attack like I am right now. I don't know that you understand. If I drop dead, you remember this. We're talking 0.19% of the population of the world. That's what the Jews represent. We're talking about a geographical piece of territory that is less than the size of the state of New Jersey. And the Bible tells us that the nations of the world will gather in a final battle. And a battle that will cover 200 square miles and will lead to bloodshed that will come to the bridle of a horse. And you are living in those days. Not because of what's going on this week in Israel, but because I could sit here right now and give you for the rest of the afternoon one prophetic statement after another and the word of God that's been fulfilled. God says, I'm going to bring you back 2,500 years later 
after they've been dispersed to the world. Listen, everybody listen. They didn't even have their language. They weren't speaking Hebrew. They were speaking Aramaic. Jesus did not speak Hebrew. He spoke Aramaic. These people that had been scattered for 2,500 years across the world, God said, I'm going to bring them back one day, Ezekiel, to my land. I'm going to resettle them. And let me just tell you, Mark Twain in 1867 said when he went to Israel prior to this, listen to how he described Israel, the land, before God brought his people back. He said it was a desolate country given over to weeds. He said it was a silent, mournful expanse. Mark Twain said, I didn't see a shrub, a tree, or a human being. Why? Because, listen, nobody wanted it, including the Arabs. It was a wasteland. It was absolutely worthless. Now, listen closely. Take a, in fact, take a left. Look at Isaiah 27, 6. Isaiah 27, 6. Isaiah 27, 6. In days to come, Jacob... Now listen, Isaiah, the northern kingdom's been exiled to Assyria. The Babylonians have come to power. They have taken the people out of the land of Israel. They're now exiles. But watch Isaiah 27, 6. In days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and fill all the world with what? With fruit. Did this happen? Did the desert blossom? Yes, it did. Israel went into this wasteland that Mark Twain described, and today is the number one exporter of fruit to Europe. They export $1.3 billion of agricultural goods. They develop the drip irrigation system. And most people would say the only reason they've been able to do all that is simply a supernatural act of God. From 1901 to 2018, there's been over 900 Nobel Peace Prizes. Do you know how many the Jewish people have won? 203. 23% of all Nobel Peace Prizes have been won by Jews. 0.19% of the world's population living on geographical territory less than the size of New Jersey. Surrounded by their enemies. The people that over 6 million died in the Holocaust. Only 14.5 million Jews in all the world. Let me put that in perspective. The Muslims make up 23% of the world's population. Do you know how many Nobel Peace Prizes they've won? 12. The hand of God is clearly on the Jewish people. Now when you go into chapter 37... You see here God demonstrating his power because he tells Ezekiel, he tells Ezekiel this is the valley of the dry bones. So let's read for a moment. I don't have a, probably a lot of time. 
but I'm going to do it. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It's full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you, make flesh come upon you, cover you with skin. I will put my breath in you and you will come alive. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones began to come together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them. Skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath. Breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied, and as he commanded me, breath entered them. They came to life. They stood up on their feet, a vast army. And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We're cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I'm going to open your graves, bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. And we'll stop there. You know what God was telling Ezekiel 2,500 years ago? God said to Ezekiel over 2,500 years ago in the middle of a valley of dry bones, God said, I know, Ezekiel, it looks hopeless, but I want you to know there come a day when I'm going to reach around the world and I'm going to bring all my people and they're going to be brought back to Israel. They're going to be brought back to this territory. It may be smaller than New Jersey. It may be one point one nine percent of the world's population, but I'm going to bring them back. And I'm going to give them their old language back. For 2,500 years, they had not spoken Hebrew. Look at, um, well, we don't have time to go there, but I could take you to Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9. You can write that down. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9, God told Ezekiel, God told Zephaniah, he said, there'll come a day when my people will speak the Hebrew language again. And they have. God gathered his people. Soviet Union all of a sudden crumbled. Do you know that in, in, the, in the grand scheme of international politics, do you know we can't explain what happened to the Soviet Union? We can't explain why the Berlin Wall came down. We can't explain why the world all of a sudden hit this moment when God reached around the world and he called the Jewish people home from all over the world. They came back. God broke down every barrier, every wall, and most Jews said they had three years to get back to Israel. But they're back. Zephaniah says that they would rediscover their language, and they did. A man by the name of Ben Yehuda was the reviver of the Hebrew language and brought it back. He made a commitment to speak the language, the Hebrew language, and before long, all of Israel was. 
Let me go back. I'll close in a moment, but let me go back to her Independence Day. When the British gave Israel that little piece of property, that little geographical area, everybody listen. Midnight, May 14th, 1948. Eleven minutes after that took place, all hell broke loose on the Jewish people. In matter of 11 minutes, Yemen, Jordan, Egypt, Syria, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, within 11 minutes of being declared an independent nation, in that 11-minute span, they found themselves fighting their enemies. The Secretary General of the Arab League said, this will be a war of extermination, a momentous massacre. President Truman gave no military support, uh, support, nor did the British. Nobody was there. They gave Egypt, they gave Israel their independence, and in a matter of 11 minutes, the entire world turned against this nation. They didn't have a friend. The Jews would die the same day of their independence, and that's what the Arab League of Nations thought. The Jewish people smuggled weapons from Yugoslavia. They had no cannon. They had no tank. They had no air force. They had nine obsolete planes. They had a total of 19,000 soldiers, and they defended the nation. God supernaturally saved Israel that day and raised them up, and there's no explanation for it whatsoever other than the hand of of God. My friend, you may not, you may not, I don't know, this may not make a dime's worth of difference to you. But as I study prophecy and I look at what God is doing today all over the world, what God has been doing, I am more convinced than ever of the integrity of God's Word. I'm more convinced than ever that we are living at a critical hour. I'm more convinced than ever that if you're not saved, you need to be saved. Because there is no way to explain the existence of the nation of Israel outside the hand of a sovereign, holy, creator God. That's it. And if I can say anything to you today, if you were not saved or you didn't know or you weren't sure, this is not the time for you to dabble in that uncertainty. If I could say to you today, if you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, or profess to be, and you're living in willful, defiant disobedience, I would say this is not the day to do that. I would say today, if you're just an apathetic, indifferent Christian who is just th making, basically thinking to yourself, I put my name on the Lamb's Book of Life, I've been dipped, I've been baptized, but I haven't done nothing for the kingdom of God, I would warn you that you may be closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ than you've ever been before. And you may say, Brother Jeff, how much do you believe that? We had our family reunion yesterday. My dad looked at me and kind of mumbled, do you want to pray? I guess that's my official title. I'll be the prayer for the family reunion. He said, if you got something to say, I looked at my dad, I said, I've got something 
to say. And I stood before my family, extended family, and said, if you're not living for Christ or you're not saved, you need to get saved. If you're not living, living for the Lord, you need to be saved today. And I may have stumbled through this message. This is, a, this is outside my comfort zone. I'll probably be better prepared because to be honest with you, Last Thursday, my, one of my dear friends is in a curled fetal position trying to talk to me, and the next day he dies. And like this past week, I've had, to be, I've had to be at a funeral home and bury a dear friend. This has been a tough week. I may not be quite prepared, but if you get anything out of the message, you understand this. 0.19% of the world's population living on a geographical area smaller than the state of New Jersey have the hand of God all over them. And when you look at their history and you look what God's done and what God continues to do, there's only one thing, one person that can explain that. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe me, go to Zechariah chapter 12, 13, and 14, and you'll read where the Jewish people, Zechariah said, would deny the coming of the Messiah. In Zechariah, I think chapter 9, they said they'll see him coming into Jerusalem, mounted on the colt, on a, on a donkey that had never been ridden, and they'll, and they'll reject him. But Zechariah also, like Ezekiel, prophesied, and he said, but there'll come a day when the Jewish nation will be in the Valley of Megiddo, when the world's armies will converge. And in that moment, the Bible says there'll be an earthquake like has never been before. And God will step into his creation and he will save his people, the nation of Israel. I spoke to a group from, uh, in a church Friday. A couple of them, are, one of them's Calvinist. He looked at me and said, why are we in the course of the discussion we were talking about, about Calvinism? And I said, I do not believe in the stealth Calvinist movement, and I believe that Calvinism right now is posed against Israel. And the reason I say that is because they're holding to replacement theology, which is basically this. And let me tell you, if you think, if you think, I, if you think what I'm saying is not true, John MacArthur disagrees with his own Presbyterian denomination and even reform because they believe in replacement theology which says this, God put aside Israel, it's no longer the old covenant, it's no longer the covenant relationship that he has with Abraham, it's now the church. The church has replaced the old covenant. The covenant, Abrahamic covenant. Now there's a new covenant. My friend, that's not true. God's not through with Israel yet. And you can't find it in the Bible. If you don't know him, you, hey, you couldn't pay me to leave. Some of you have yawned and looked about half awake through this. Shame on you. Shame on you. I don't care if you had to get an espresso. But I tell you this much. Next Sunday, I am, and when I preach, if you're not 100% plugged in, fire me or I'll quit. You'll be looking for another pastor. These are a serious time. These are serious days. And you and I can't lazy our way through them any longer. This church should be full. You should have people in this church.
You should be out there bringing your family, getting people to come, talking in the work environment wherever you are. My friend, we may not have long. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, dear Lord, I have maybe stumbled through, maybe wrestled. Lord, trying to give history, trying to give information, trying to help people to understand that the miracle of Israel, the miracle of the Jewish people, dear Lord, is, is such an awe-inspiring thing. A people that are one-fifth of one percent who have received 23% of the Nobel Peace Prizes. A people, dear Lord, whose language had sat dormant for 2,500 years is all of a sudden resurrected and spoken again. People whose culture has come back intact, their land once again has been resettled, a land that was a wasteland, worthless, is brought back to life because God said, bring it back to life. And now it touches Europe and the world with produce, with agricultural produce that would match many entire countries. Israel is a miracle. Jewish people are a miracle. And so, Lord, I pray today that we would see that miracle and understand, dear, dear Lord, these are not the times to sit glassy-eyed and yawning through a service. Lord, forgive us. Draw us toast close to you. Let us feel the intensity of this moment. Help us to realize, dear Lord, that if it's not long, then, Lord, we need to be busy. If we believe this, if we claim to be Christians, if we claim to have Christ in our hearts everywhere we go, we would be talking the gospel. We would be trying to manipulate and turn the conversation somehow so that we could introduce them to Jesus. We would look at people with seriousness, with an urgency, with a passion, and say, you need to know Christ now. So, Lord, I pray today as we come to this invitation that, Lord, you draw people to a place of decision. If it's salvation, they'd be saved. If it's to recommit, rededicate their life, that they would do that. If it's just simply to pray and say, Lord, give me help. Give me guidance. Give me victory. And Lord, we'll give you the glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You stand.